family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. Uh, what, a, what a beautiful ministry. Um, I want to give just a, a thanks to the, the children's ministry um, and also the young families ministry and the youth ministry that all kind of com- collabed on that uh, to make that difficult, a challenging weekend happen. Uh, thanks, Karen. You guys, you guys crush it. Uh, kiddos, kindergarten through second grade, if you want to head to the back, you can head out to Children's Church where they, uh, they do a beautiful job of just contextualizing the message of, of Christ uh, to these kiddos. All right. Well, church, uh, good morning. I'm, uh, I'm Pastor Clint, uh, one of the pastors here, and uh, we are diving into our Lenten series. Uh, Lent is that, that season right before uh, Easter that kind of prepares our hearts and our minds for uh, the resurrected Christ. Uh, we have, our series is called On Earth As It Is In Heaven. Where, just help me out, where have you seen those words? Absolutely. Nailed it. Whenever, whenever, I, um, whenever I ask things like that to like the, the SLC, I, I, I get to lead, lead worship for the SLC, the, the little school for little kids. I say, where, where do you find that? And they, everybody just says, the Bible, right? And so uh, thank you for being specific. Um, it is found absolutely in the Lord's Prayer, this, this idea that, on, that uh, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, we think about heaven a lot um, in pastoral ministry. I have the opportunity to, to walk with people um, sometimes on, in seasons where they're dealing with loss and dealing with, uh, with death and um, contemplating what is, what's next. What is this, this life after the, our existence here? And, and the, the idea of heaven comes up a lot. We have uh, a lot of conflicting understandings of what heaven actually is. We think of clouds and we think of babies on clouds and little baby angels floating around. We think of uh, the big pearly gates and Peter standing there like, wait, like with a little checkbook, uh, like list, did you do this and this and this? You know, we have all these images of heaven. One of the images for me is, um, anybody seen Mr. Deeds? The little, uh, the, the fruit punch fountain? I think that heaven's gotta have those, right? Um, but ultimately, we think like, how do I get there, right? That's, that's what I really want is uh, at the end of this life, I don't, want to, I don't want the alternative, right? And so how do I get to heaven? Actually, Jesus, whenever he talks about the kingdom of heaven, he very rarely talks about how you get there. That's really not the concern of, um, of the, the gospels of when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, in fact, in that very prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a prayer that he teaches us that we ought to be praying. 
This ought to be the focus of a lot of our prayer is not for us to leave this world and enter into this place called heaven and what that might look like, but actually for heaven to enter into our world. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In fact, the focus of the kingdom of heaven is not how we get there, but how it comes to us. And so during this Lenten season, as we uh, dive into this journey, drawing closer and closer to Christ, turning our hearts uh, away from the things that we want and into the things that, that God wants, uh, our, our journey will be looking uh, biblically, looking at what the Bible says about the kingdom of heaven and how we are called to establish it here on earth, here in Kingwood, in our church, in our homes, and even in our own hearts. So as we do that, uh, we're going we're gonna to take a journey all the way back to the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1 to start us off as we look at what the kingdom of heaven, the union of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth was intended to be. And in that passage, in, in Genesis, we see the, the split of, of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth. So we're going to look at what happened in that split and how that split is continuing to happen in our midst today. If you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter one is where we're gonna dive in. And we'll, we'll go Genesis one, we'll take a look at Genesis two and then uh, land on Genesis three. So hear these words, Genesis chapter one, they'll be up on the screen if you, have, if you, have, if you don't have your, your Bible in hand. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. It's important to note that when God created us, he didn't just create us to be vegetables, to just lounge and relax. We're not, this is not resort heaven, right? But this is a, God gave man the ability to rule, to have dominion over creation. He gave us work to do. He desired so deeply for us to rule alongside him. Not alone, Within a given set of parameters, you know, don't eat of this tree, but eat of all of these trees, he gave us the ability to rule. In, in Genesis 2, we see that, that played out a little bit as God interacts with his creation. In verse 18, chapter 2, verse 18, it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Now, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all of the wild animals and all of the birds in the sky, and he brought them to man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, it, that was its name. So man gave names to all of the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all of the wild animals. You see, God could have brought all of the animals to Adam and said, hey, this is a cow, remember that. This is a dog, remember that. This is a bird, remember that. This is a fish, remember that. But no, he desired, he desired to not just uh, dictate how the world would be ordered, but he, he gave that responsibility to man. He desired to be co-authors of creation with man. 
This is important for us to understand that God desires to not just rule the world, but to rule with you and through you. To give you and I responsibility as co-workers with parameters and in relationship with God. Now, we all know the rest of the story, right? The serpent comes, tempts Adam and Eve. Um, they eat the fruit. Sin happens. Broken relationships, they're kicked out of the garden. But what I want to look at in the, in the midst of the separation, this is what it was intended to be, right? And then in this separation between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth, what, what did the enemy do in that space to divide the two? And if, if, our, if our goal, if our job, if, if, if the prayer that we are called to pray by Jesus is to uh, a prayer of unification of the kingdom of heaven to the kingdom of earth, then we need to look at what are those things that originally separated heaven and earth in the first place. So if you have your Bibles, continue with me in Genesis chapter three. Let's dive in. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Pause here. There's something really significant that we can brush right over if we don't, if we don't zero in. You see, the difference in the way that the, the author addresses God and the way that the serpent addresses God. The author addresses God as Lord God, but the serpent addresses God as God. You see, each name in the Hebrew uh, has a significant meaning. It's not just the, the word Lord doesn't have a whole lot of connotation for us. But for them, the idea of Lord, this is uh, the word Yahweh in, in scripture, in Hebrew. Yahweh is representative of the character of God that is relational. It is God's loving nature. It is God's um, deep, deeply personal side. It is... Uh, it encompasses all of the, the love of God, which when we see uh, Jesus is a representation of Yahweh. It's a, it's a, a modification of the words in, in the, the Greek to Jesus, Yahweh. It's the loving nature of God, the personal nature of God. Elohim is the word God. Elohim means powerful creator, almighty. It is this, this big, superior uh, authoritative figure. What the enemy does real subtly to begin to separate man from God, to begin to separate the kingdom of heaven from the kingdom of earth, earth is that he convinces man that God is impersonal. If we allow if we allow our relationship to, with God to be just all powerful but impersonal, the enemy begins to wedge himself in the midst of it because he distorts our understanding of God's loving nature towards us. He distorts our understanding of God in the way that he interacts with us. Frederick Buchner, uh, a 20th century theologian, writes this. A distant and impersonal God leaves us feeling abandoned and insignificant. In Christianity, the, uh, we, have the, we are the only religion that offers a personal and relational God, that that is paramount for us, that is um, 
so important for the way that we understand our faith is that God is personal, that God desires to interact in our story. He desires to meet our needs. He desires to know our deepest thoughts, our inward being. He desires to act on our behalf. He desires to know us, even to save us. Frederick continues in his book. He says, God isn't an impersonal force or a principle out there somewhere. God is a person, or rather three persons in relationship, and the heart of that relationship is love. The relationship that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have in union together is love. God is love, as John says in 1 John. God cannot operate outside of love. God cannot act impersonally. Everything that he does, every nature, that every, every word that he says, every action that he does all throughout the biblical narrative is uh, an act of a personal God that deeply desires to know you and to see you thrive, to see you live a life to the full, a life of abundance. For I came not to, not to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you may have life and life to the fullest, John 10, 10. Would an impersonal God send his only son to die for us and save us? Would an impersonal God bend down to meet a woman caught in adultery and to offer her forgiveness? Would an impersonal God uh, kneel down on his knees to wash his disciples' feet? No, our God is madly in love with you. He desires so deeply an intimate relationship with you. Not an authoritative figure that is trying to rule over you and keep you from the things that you might want the most. See, that's what the enemy does. We see it in verse two, the second way in which the enemy tries to split us from the kingdom of God is that he convinces us that God is not for us, that, that we can rule alone, that we can do this without God. We don't need an impersonal God to, to rule over us, to lord it over us, to keep us from all the good things of life. We can just do it on our own, on my own terms, in my own way. God, I got this. We see it happen right there in verse two. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. And the enemy says, you will certainly not die. For God knows that when you eat it, eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Friends, when we are convinced that our way is better than God's way, it leads us into spaces where where we begin to take control where we begin to 
leads us away from obedience. It leads us away from surrender. It leads us away from abundant life. It leads us uh, away from the reunion of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth. We are convinced that our way is better. When we assume the position of authority, we push out our partner in this co-working rulership of, of creation. We walk on our own. Friends, if we desire to see the kingdom of God come to earth, it begins with us trusting that God's way is better. It begins with us coming to the table with God and saying, let's do this together. I want to walk with you in the midst of this. I remember um, several years ago when Cooper was my youngest, or my middle son was two years old. We, I, was, uh, I was out back, uh, it was on a Saturday afternoon and we just had a, a kind of a, a storm come in and a lot of leaves had blown onto our, our porch and I, I hadn't, I'm, I'm cheap, so I hadn't bought a, 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 a blower yet out for our back porch. And so I just had this push broom, right? And so I'm out there like slaving away, like pushing uh, leaves off. And every time I push them off, the wind blows them back on. You know, it's, it's the worst. Um, and so I'm pushing these things away and Cooper comes out, a little two-year-old kid, and, and uh, comes right, right between me and the broom head. And he stands underneath the broom and he just grabs the broom with me. And he begins to, to push with me. Efficient? No, not at all. <laughs> Effective? Not at all. But it was perfect. I so deeply desired to get this job done, but I more deeply desired to do it with my son. Now, I'm way less patient than God is. And so about five minutes went by and I was like, uh, I think your mom's calling you inside, right? I gotta get this thing done. Uh, but... God's deepest desire is to, to, to rule with you, to walk alongside you in your, your daily lives. When was the last time that you asked God to rule with you in your marriage? To actually seek God out to say, God, how is your kingdom coming to this world through my marriage? How often do we intentionally seek God together with our spouse? How often do we seek God together with our family? How can I or how can we be better mothers, fathers, brothers, or sisters? How can your kingdom come to the earth through my family? How can I co-labor with you at work? What are you calling me to other than the work that I do on a daily basis, that, that I get paid to do? What's the work that you're calling me to do in this space? On the sideline of my kids' sport, sporting events and on my social media interaction with people on Facebook, God, how, are you part, how can I partner with you in this work to bring the kingdom of God in union with the kingdom of the earth? It is God's desire. It is God's desire to bring wholeness to our lives through faithful obedience, through loving relationship, 
and a co-ruling nature. But it is the enemy's desire to steal, kill, and destroy. And his desire is to divide, to push the kingdom of heaven further and further and further away from the kingdom of earth where God is trying to mesh these two things together, the enemy is trying to wedge it and push them away. The third thing that we see that pushes these things away is this, um, this three-way separation that the enemy does because of our disobedience and because of sin. Here's what happens. Here's what happens with when we don't trust that God's way is greater. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. Verse seven, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. You see, before they were naked and felt no shame as verse 25 says. But now, because of the the curse of sin, because of what had been done, enter into the world shame. The kingdom of God was never meant to be shame. Only freedom and joyful obedience. But the enemy separated us from ourselves by tainting our understanding of our original identity. In sin, we have separated from the way God intentionally created us and designed us. Shame, the shame you experience is never meant to be. It's only experienced in disobedience. So the enemy separates us from ourself. We see also that he separates us from God. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the, the Lord God. Notice that, that the author brings back in this personal God, this personal God that is desiring to pursue after mankind heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from him. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord God called to man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. How many of us have been there? Where our, the sin, the shame of our sin has left us in a place where we want nothing to do with God. We think God must, be, uh, God must be impersonal. God must be in a position of authority trying to rain down uh, my, his wrath on me because of my sin. But no, God was pursuing after Adam in this moment. Sin separated us from our relationship with God. The kingdom of heaven dividing further apart. Verse 11, we see the enemy putting a wedge between our relationship with one another. And he said, verse 11, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman that you put here with me, you did this. The woman that you put here with me, I didn't ask for this. She gave me some fruit and from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent, that guy did it. Not me, it was that guy. The serpent deceived me and I ate it. See what's happening here is almost like that scene in the office, you know, where they're all like, 
right? It's this, it's this, um, this confusion, this chaos where we can no longer accept responsibility for the things that we have done, but we are instantly pointing fingers at one another, causing divisions and separations because they did this to our economy. They did this to us. They did this to, to me. They're the reason why our world is so broken. They're the reason, and we never look back to ourselves and responsibility. I think it's interesting that in this text, the second Adam is, response, is completely irresponsible for his own actions. It's foreshadowing to the, or the first Adam is completely irresponsible. It's foreshadowing to the second Adam, who is Jesus, who, though it was not his fault at all, he would take the blame, take the responsibility on the cross, and he would save his beloved. Instead of pointing fingers at his beloved, he would take, take it on himself. As the band comes up and we close, I want to invite you in this Lenten season to evaluate the ways in which the Lord God, the personal and powerful God is desiring to draw nearer to you, to establish the kingdom of heaven in your own heart. Because friends, if the kingdom of heaven is gonna merge with the kingdom of earth, it must begin with you. It must begin in your heart. We as a congregation cannot go places that you and I are not willing to go individually. So if we want to bring the kingdom of heaven to this space, it must begin in our own hearts. Where is God knocking and asking to be devotional to you? Where is God knocking in, in the midst of those divisions, the division between us and ourselves, the division between us and God, the division between us and one another? Where is God desiring to restore to bring a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven. I wanna lead us in a time of prayer. We kind of moved our, our, uh, our prayer time into this space. I wanna lead us in a time of prayer, uh, individual prayer. As we, as we do, we're gonna meet with God and ask him to speak into those three divisions. The division between us and self, us and God, and us and one another. So if you would, would you close your eyes? And in your mind's eye, would you open the door to Jesus? Would you invite him to sit with you, to converse with you, to restore you? Would you invite him into your daily life, into your family, into the dark places that you keep hidden? And in that space, he asks you, how has the enemy distorted your image of yourself? How has the enemy shamed you? 
made you believe a lie that you were not a child of God. What would God speak into that? What are the words that Jesus would speak to your soul? To restore you. To draw you nearer to the kingdom of God. He asks you again, where has the enemy distorted your relationship with me? Maybe God has become impersonal to you. He's acting in this world, but not not in and through you. He doesn't have time for you. I don't have time for him. How would you let God heal you in that moment? Finally, how has the enemy poisoned your relationship with others? Maybe there's a face that comes to mind, a broken relationship, a grudge, a tempter, some unforgiveness. God, would your kingdom come through our relationships? Would you soften your hearts towards these individuals? Would you soften your hearts towards yourself? Would you soften your heart towards God? Would you close in prayer with me the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Church, as we...